Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. This is a customer service business. These are customers. They're not tenants. They are to be treated as customers. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? You need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available. Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Joe Pollan. How you doing, Joe? Doing well, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show a little bit more about Joe. He is a co-founder at Cardinal Senior Management. He also does apartment investing. He started buying single-family homes while in college and renting them to fellow students. And in 2012, formed a group that started buying apartment community self-storage and senior housing. He's based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he is currently on the road right now. He pulled over to talk to us, and he's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he said he has a bunch of apartments. So that being said, Joe, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yes. I went to college in Grand Rapids, Michigan. While in college, I got into student housing where I'd buy a a single family home, rent out the bedrooms to my friends, and then after a year, moved to another house and have roommates and kept doing that for about seven years and built a student housing portfolio. And then after college, I was a court-appointed receiver for a couple of years. That was during the economic recession and got into buying distressed and turnaround opportunities in apartments, both student housing and traditional apartments, and also self-storage. Recently in 2015, I sold off our self-storage and used the funds to get into senior housing. And senior housing has been my primary focus since 2015, where me and a partner own and operate 
about 550 beds of what's called in Pennsylvania personal care, but what most of the listeners in their states would probably recognize as assisted living. And that's a little about my background. So you sold off your self-storage and used the funds to get into senior housing. I'd love to focus our conversation on what you're doing now, that's senior housing. But without talking up senior housing for this question, why did you get out of self-storage? Well, to be honest, I actually was offered a price that I couldn't refuse on the complexes that we had. There was groups that were moving into our area that were regional players who were really hungry to get their hands on some self-storage assets that we had. And it just made sense at the time to sell those. So now you're focused on senior housing. What were the reasons why you wanted to get into senior housing? You know, honestly, I had a moment where I was sitting around looking at what we did and I was really drawn to the care and compassion side of the senior housing. I always enjoyed spending time with my grandparents and I felt every time I was in any of my friends' senior housing buildings, a sense of purpose and that there was something more than just the financial side of it. And the financial side of it was really strong. I specialize in purchasing struggling assets and the senior housing assets that we purchased were in need of a turnaround and I felt I could be of value. And that's what drew me to senior housing. I'm very much looking forward to digging into the senior housing aspect of things. So tell us about maybe a deal that you bought that was struggling, why they were struggling, and what you did to turn it around. I'll give you an example of one of the senior housing buildings that we bought, the first two that we bought. It was a second-generation owner. I don't believe the person who inherited the business, their real passion was ever senior housing. A lot of the senior housing operators who are mom-and-pop operators are kind of second- or third-generation business owners, and they don't view sales and marketing in senior housing as like a bad connotation. A lot of the operators don't really believe in a really stout sales and marketing department. They don't partner with third-party referral sources like A Place for Mom or Caring.com. And the building that we saw was an older building, but the staff was really, really strong. The staff interacted with the families and residents well, but it was only about 78% full. We felt there was a huge opportunity there to implement some really strong sales and marketing procedures, such as just a a script, doing assessments on site before taking an application. And we went ahead and implemented a couple of those sales strategies, and now our building's over 95% full. And that turnaround drastically increased, obviously, the value of the business and has been good for everyone involved. In addition to a script that you provided the staff, there has to be some other things from maybe like CapEx improvements or some other operational things that you did that have helped it. Well, one thing I think is kind of a secret for senior housing, and some of your listeners might have experienced this when they've been looking for one of their loved ones, is they'll come in and they'll ask how much the apartment costs how big's the apartment, but that's not what they're trying to find out. What they're really trying to find out when they come in looking for assisted living care is, are you going to love my mom? That's what they're 
true focus is. And I see a lot of people who get into senior housing, they really focus and they try to take an approach that's similar to self-storage or apartments mm. where you add the dancing waterfall and the granite countertops and it looks like a country club. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what you're doing is you're serving individuals who it's the last few years of their life. A lot of times their hearing's gone, their eyesight is bad. They can't even appreciate those things that you think as a business owner or a building owner that you're really investing in. Whereas what the families and the residents are really getting and looking for is that care and compassion from the staff. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the line of work that I'm in in senior housing is notorious for treating staff like human sausage and just really not providing the tools and the dignity for the staff to succeed. And you see it when you go in the buildings, you can just feel that energy. And I'm a big believer that if you're going to turn around a senior housing building, focusing on the culture and the way the staff interacts with the residents is more important than large CapEx projects. And that's something that I am quite a bit different than a lot of other senior housing investors. And I believe that, frankly, has led to my success in the industry in buildings where a lot of others have not been successful. How do you create a culture? You said you inherited some good ones, but you still have to perpetuate that. So how do you do that? I believe you have to practice a system of open finance where everyone in the building understands what the rent roll is, how many residents are in the building, and each department understands how much money that they are spending. And you really treat your staff as partners of yours in the business. And you create a team environment by which it's obvious how merit-based pay increases are awarded and showing your staff that as your building succeeds, they can succeed as well. Wow. That's something I hadn't heard before. How do you communicate the finances to your staff? What we did is we created a dashboard system. And the dashboard system, when our staff meets, and just to give you some idea of kind of size-wise, most of our buildings are around 100 to 120 beds. So on any given day, you've got anywhere from like 100 to 120 residents. And you'd run a staff of about 50 to 70 in a building of that size where you'd have one executive director and then we have seven departments. So each department, maintenance, nursing, dietary, would each have a department head. So what we do is we meet every morning in a stand-up meeting and then each department head has access to their dashboard, which shows what their budget is to spend on labor and supplies for the coming month and where they are at that time during the month. And then with that information, they can make decisions on who to hire, who to give merit-based pay increases to, and how to move and take full control of their department. We really see each building as the head administrators, the CEO, and each of the department heads are a vice president who are in charge of their department. And by democratizing that kind of power and decision-making down to the department head level, then the department heads can see the effects of their decision. And even though a lot of our department heads don't have a business background or even thought that they were ever going to be in a business situation, if we can make our P&Ls and our budgets simple 
to understand, then in that situation, they can take ownership of those decisions. So help me understand the potential profit opportunity for senior living and maybe within one case study. Because when I hear 50 to 70 staff members for 100 beds, I'm thinking, wait a second, I have five staff members for 100 apartments and you've got 50 for 100 beds. And I'm thinking the expenses got to be through the roof, not to mention everything else. So what are the numbers on a deal like a 100 bed community? For example, one of our buildings, our goal is to run, and our budgets are all based off of running at a 35% margin. So that's our goal. If everyone follows their budget, that's where they kind of end up. So on a building, you would have like a 120-bed building. And I can only speak for my buildings, of course. We have a rent roll of, let's say, $750,000 is your monthly rent, rent roll. So then 35% of that would be like $262,000 would be kind of your NOI for that month if everyone hits budget. So the rest of it is used in expenses. So it's a sizable operation running each of these senior housing buildings. Yes, it is. Is that a typical range? Because when I do 750000 divided by 120, I get 6250 a bed per month. That would include their levels of care. So the way senior housing is built in our area and how we bill it is you pay an amount for your room and board rate. And then based on your care level needs, so if you're a two-person transfer or if you need extra assistance, you would pay an extra amount each month. And that amount could be as high as about $2,400 a month. Mm -hmm. And what type of expenses are the largest variables for you on a monthly basis? One of the things when I talk to people who are thinking about getting into it, the largest expense is labor. And it's the one that can get the most out of control. And you have to find a way to manage your labor. This line of work, you're dealing with life and death. We're averaging across all of our buildings, probably close to a dozen deaths per month. And it's really easy for people to kind of lose track of their time and what they're supposed to be doing. And it's labor. I mean, the whole business that we're in is make sure you have good occupancy, you're keeping up on your levels of care, and you're watching labor. And everything else tends to take care of itself. And you obviously have utilities and property taxes and raw food costs. But the biggest, most variable cost that will make or break you is your labor. And I want to ask a question about the overall cost, then come back to labor. For the overall costs, is one of them rent or do you own the buildings? We rent our buildings from a landlord. So that's pretty common in this line of work. A lot of REITs participate in that model where they'll own a lot of these facilities and then they will rent them to you on a triple net lease. And we currently are using a private landlord. We're not using a REIT. But if someone wants to get involved in this line of work, that is a strategy where you identify a building for sale. You do all of your underwriting, you do all your negotiations, and then you bring it to a REIT. And you can just type into Google REITs that specialize in healthcare. There's a lot of them out there. And you can actually bring the deal to them and they'll purchase it. And then at the day of purchase, turn around and sign a triple net lease back to you. Huh. Because of your background as a real estate investor, 
Does not owning the building, is that like an elbow in the side? You know what? I know the guys that own our building pretty well, and I am so thankful to them for getting us into business. There's obviously huge benefits from building ownership from the depreciation and the tax benefits of it. And down the line, that would be a goal of mine to own some of these buildings. One of the things I do like about the triple net lease option is after you've shown yourself to be a quality operator, really how far you want to grow your company is almost limitless because there are a lot of real estate investors out there looking for quality operators. Now I want to ask another question about the labor. So with labor, you said that's the largest expense and can get the most out of control. What are a couple ways, and perhaps you've mentioned them, but a couple ways that you don't allow it to get out of control? We use ADP as our payroll provider, and we use a program called Makeshift, which is through ADP. And what it allows you to do is make your schedules, and it will show you exactly how, while making your schedule, what your spend will be for the coming week. So one of the issues you have is monitoring who and who will not be on overtime in situations where you can use a med tech, which is kind of a lower cost employee who's certified to pass medications, where you can use a med tech instead of an LPN, which is someone who's got a higher certification. So we use that program. And then also, most importantly, is making sure the people in your building take ownership for the payroll spend. Those two systems I found to be most helpful, but also, like I said, it's the biggest part of our business and we are constantly looking for ways to control labor while not sacrificing our culture, obviously the level of care that our residents are receiving. Mm -hmm. And just running the numbers, if you've got a property or a community that's 750,000 monthly rent roll and you're making 35% of that, times that by 12, that's over $3 million in profit a year. Is that around where you're at? Well, here's the thing that's really exciting about senior housing is if you run it well, it is very profitable. If you aren't running it well, those numbers can change quite a bit. But yes, that's our goal and that's where we're tracking towards. Huh. And where are you at now from an expense ratio standpoint? Are you around the 35% or does it take a little while to get there? The buildings that we're talking about, we purchased those back in 2015. Uh And when we took them over, they were running about a 12% margin. And we've gotten those up to about a 28% margin. And the big thing about when you're looking at the margins, obviously, is those last 7% of occupancy, those last 20 residents are by far your most profitable residents because the fixed costs of the building rent and the fixed costs of the insurance and the property taxes and the utilities are already relatively taken care of. So the buildings become really, really profitable once you get up in that 95 to 100% occupied area. But then you still got the variable of the labor, which would increase with that, but the bulk of the expenses, the fixed ones, will cover up to 100% occupancy. Yeah, your biggest labor expenses, salary-wise, is going to be your executive director and all of your department heads. So obviously, as you go from 60% full, you're still going to need a head director, or if you're 100% full, you're still not going to add another director. 
so the extra staff that you add to get from, let's just say, 80% to 95% full, that extra staff is usually at your PCA level or your dietary level. It's not kind of your upper management level at the property level. Are all of these residents, is that what you call them, patients? What do you call them? We call them residents. Residents. Are all the residents paying privately out of pocket, or are you working with the government on getting reimbursed? Our facility is all private pay. So these are just people right here. Yep. Right us. We do have residents who get an aid and attendant benefit. It's like a tax-free pension from the federal government if you're a veteran. And there's a whole side to that, but that check goes directly to the families and then they use that to pay for our services. And then a lot of other people have purchased long-term care insurance. So we do sometimes get checks from long-term providers. Got it. So the typical monthly amount, is that about $6,000, would you say? Is that average? We have buildings in three different areas, and that's kind of like the higher-end areas. It'll go as low as about like 3500 It would be kind of on the lower end. Got it. Based on your experience as an investor who is focused on senior living, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? You know, this is the best advice I have for senior housing, and it it also is true in the apartments and the student housing, is that this is a customer service business. These are customers. They're not tenants. They are to be treated as customers. And I think if you look through the lens at whatever you do, whether it's self-storage or senior housing or apartments, and you look at it as what am I providing for my customer and how can I do a great job at that is the best advice in my opinion. Yeah, you've done such a wonderful job of explaining the ins and outs of this in the short amount of time that we've been talking about it and lots of lessons and I'll summarize some of the takeaways at the end. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, first a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read that has educated you on senior housing, if you've read any at all? You know, I've never read any books on senior housing. Pretty much everything I've learned in senior housing has been from other operators. So that's how I learned about senior housing. Best ever book in general that you've read? The best ever book I ever read is a book called Modoc, The True Story of the Greatest Elephant That Ever Lived. It really has nothing to do with business at all, but it's just a story of a young boy who 
travels the world chasing after a circus elephant that he grew up in and around. And it's just a great story of if you just follow your heart, you can live an amazing life. It's kind of like almost like a book about Forrest Gump. Best ever senior housing deal that you've done? I would say it's the first deal that we did. That was the one that we bought, and it was around 75%, 78% occupied, and we were able to get that building currently north of 95% full and got me into senior housing. What's a mistake you've made on a senior housing transaction? A mistake that I've made is when we've taken over buildings and there was employees that it was obvious that they weren't going to fit our culture they didn't have the attitude that we looked for. We tried to mold positions around them as opposed to just going ahead and parting ways with them. That I learned from our first deal. And now whenever we take over new deals, if it's obvious someone's not going to fit, it's get rid of them immediately. What's the executive director salary range? And then what's a department head salary range? The executive director salary range is going to be anywhere from like seventy dollars to $100,000. And then the department head range is usually in that forty dollars to $55,000 range. Best ever way you like to give back? I've been a part of Big Brothers Big Sisters for about 11 years now. And I really enjoy the one-on-one mentorship with uh, younger people. I believe if you are thinking about doing Big Brothers Big Sisters and you're not committed to doing it for longer than five years, I think you probably shouldn't do it. But if you're ready to be there for the long term, I think you can make a real impact on a young person's life. And what's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Probably via email is the best way. My email is joe, J-O-E, at cardinalseniormgmt.com. And you can go to cardinalseniormanagement.com or just click the link in the show notes page. And you can see their community in York, Pennsylvania, and Culpmont, Pennsylvania. Those are the three. We actually just closed last month on two more properties in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And those just haven't been updated on our website yet, but hopefully they'll be updated soon. Well, thank you for educating us on senior housing, things to look out for, like the number one expense and the number one variable, labor how you mitigate the risk or you attempt to control that as much as possible. And that is empowering the staff so that each department knows how much they're able to spend and then empowering them to do their merit-based pay increases as well as using a good payroll system like ADP. And as you said, when you so succinctly summarize the business, you're looking for good occupancy, a high level of care and have good labor. If you've got those three things, then you're going to be doing pretty well. And then from a high-level business standpoint, running the community at a 35% margin is the goal. When you took over one of them, it was 12%. Now it's to 28% creep into that 35%. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really enjoyed our conversation, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation Podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at com.